erected idols all over the place, bowed down to the starry hosts, and even erected altars in God's holy temple to pagan gods. If that wasn't bad enough, he practiced sorcery, divination, consulted medium spiritualists, and sacrificed his own son in the fire. Manasseh was meant to be a good shepherd of God's holy people. Ammon, his son, came to reign next. He was just as bad as his father. But then Josiah came along. He was a good king. He tried his best. And when the book of the law was found, he was in shock and he went into mourning. And he was scared. He was really frightened of God's wrath. He said, great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book He did his best to reform the nation and he got rid of the idols and he called the nation to repentance. And they did, but not for long because their moral decline had been so intense that when subsequent kings, I'll try and say the names, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin and Zedekiah came along, They were all very evil kings, and the people easily slipped back into pagan worship with its grotesquely immoral practices. And into this mix, many of the priests made a mockery of the worship in the temple. The rich of the land got richer at the expense of the poor. But worst of all, there were false prophets claiming to speak to God, but really... They were just saying what they thought people wanted to hear. So the leaders, or shepherds of God's people, his chosen people, had turned against God's holy law, and the people were scattered. And it was into this unholy mix that Jeremiah was called to speak God's word, and it was during the reign of of, um, Josiah. And when he spoke, they didn't like it at all because the truth hurt. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord says to the shepherds who tend my flock and have driven them away and not bestowed care on them. I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done. I had a go at being a shepherd once, and I made a right mess of things. Uh, During my gap year, rather than going abroad, I went up to Yorkshire and spent eight months on a farm on the Yorkshire Moors. It was as good as going abroad, because the language is different. Uh, On the second day, I was told to go and put bears in Mr. Lass, which if you translate means go and put the broom in the cow shed, young lady. Um, And uh, it was quite an experience. I loved helping with the lambing, very rewarding. And some of the orphaned lambs were there. There was a little uh, Annie, I got very fond of her. She was very clever. And she learned to eat the rosebuds in the farmer's garden, which didn't go down too well. But there was the one time in the year when sheep had to go for a dip. don't think they do it these days. They put these sort of other kinds of insecticides on. But anyway, we had to drive the sheep along the lanes to the big farm where they had a sheep dip. And, of course, all the little farmers from around met and 
farm by farm the sheep went down and came up. And of course, Mr. Mason, who was the farmer, he had all his friends there. He didn't see them all together very often. So he said, oh, you take the sheep back. I said, you sure? He said, oh, they'll be fine. Well, those sheep knew I wasn't a very good shepherd. And I swear those bars were laughter. Because they started off going quite slowly. And then they got faster and faster and faster. And they were running and I was trying to keep up wearing wellies. And then horror of horror... We got back to the farm, and some do-gooder passer-by had closed the gate. And these sheep were just about to go trotting down the lane to the main Ilkley Skipton main road, when postman Pat turned up, literally parked his van across the lane, opened the gate, and helped me get the sheep in. Those sheep knew I had no authority over them, and they just ran in mock. And that was what was happening. These bad shepherds had no authority, no moral authority over the people, and the people just did their own thing. But Jeremiah, he was being a good shepherd. And the good news is that even through those evil times, there was a remnant who, despite everything, remained faithful to the Lord. And as we know, there are plenty of bad shepherds who have left our nation into moral decline. But I'm thinking more about what have some of the leaders in the body of Christ been doing, which has weakened the faith of our church. In my lifetime, there have been prominent clergy who have taught that Jesus was just a good man and not divine. Others have taught there was no virgin birth, or the Holy Spirit was for the past only. Others still teach that miracles don't exist. Some cheap church leaders have bled their congregations dry to make themselves rich. And worst of all, some who are in positions of trust have dared to abuse those in their care. And it's no wonder Jesus' beloved church, the body of Christ, has been battered and weakened. And many have been scattered. But the good news is there remains a smaller but stronger church in this nation. And Jesus is calling us. He knows us each by name. He calls each of us and he calls his church, my beloved. Jeremiah said, I myself will gather the remnants of my flock and I will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid. Now, if you come into the next service, you would see a video here of um, several people calling a flock of sheep and they're not lifting their heads at all. And then the farmer calls them and their ears prick up, their heads go up, And they look at him, and they run towards him. The good shepherd, they know his name. Uh, He knows them all by name, and they know him. And Jeremiah said, he said there would be good shepherds. And these are the church leaders who truly believe in God's word and lead their flocks forward. Of course, Mark is one of them. But fellow believers are also good shepherds, who throughout all our joys and laughters and temptations when we feel lost, when we need help, they are there to help us in times of doubt. 
They are the ones who call us and lead me safely back into the fold. And Jesus calls all believers to be good shepherds. Sometimes we need help, sometimes we can offer help through Jesus' guidance. And this morning I couldn't think of a better example than what we've seen on the Eagles Project. How church leaders are gathering their flocks together and they're working together to produce these wonderful crops. And as um, I said, that uh, it's physical, mental, emotional, and spiritually that these people are being enriched and everyone's being a shepherd to each other. And I sometimes wonder who it is that we're being asked to help. I think my son, my second son, Richard, over the years, he stopped coming to church when he was a teenager, much to my horror, but he came back when he realized there were pretty girls there. Um, So although it was the wrong motives, he did hear the gospel. And by the time he went to university, he was a, a... you know, practicing Christian. And then when he was at university, that he could not find a church that would nurture him or feed him spiritually. And he had a very dry time. There weren't any good shepherds there for him. But he got a job in London afterwards and went to Nicky Gumbel's church. So it wasn't long before he was baptized. I just think about how he's had help at times in his life and there hasn't been the help at others but he's calling us to help those who are struggling a little bit. We're getting to the exciting bit now. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, the land will be saved. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. As I read those verses, two other verses came to mind. One from Corinthians. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So if you are expecting something wonderful for God, forget it because he's going to do something even greater. And we just can't imagine what that will be like. The other verses from Isaiah. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Jesus, our Lord of righteousness, is here now and he will pour out his blessings. But you don't know when he's going to do this. But he loves to surprise us, either as individuals or as a nation. And I do wonder, has Jesus ever taken you by surprise? I know I was taken by surprise the first time I invited the Holy Spirit into my life, and I just cannot explain or, or just talk about the, the, the power, the love, the joy that I experienced then. And you know, I, he's come lots of times since, but that first time was just mind-blowing. And I'm going to invite Jeff to come and tell Jeff Evans to come and tell a story of how when he was a quantity surveyor, something fantastic happened to him. Can 
It concerns this particular building, which I worked on for about 25 years in amongst lots of others, but this, the building is sort of not relevant. Let me just take you through a particular day that um, this event in my life happened. Um, I was going to London, to St. Paul's, perhaps once a week at least. And uh, on this occasion, I got up about half past five, five o'clock, half past five, dashed down to the station, got the train up to London about six o'clock, into a meeting with the um, chapter finance committee where um, they went through all the projects I was handling the money for and uh, somehow I felt that some of them had been to the Andrews Neal School of Charm <laughs> in the way they uh, quizzed me over those um, figures where the budgets were being squeezed but no congratulations for those that weren't. Anyway, um, I'd been through that sort of grueling uh, two hours. Went on then to look at various aspects of the cathedral, looking at decay and rot. And, you know, I'm, if I'd been a dentist, I'd have made a lot of money, but I wasn't. I was a quantity surveyor. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so that was looking at, and then looking at my budgets for doing that particular thing and thinking, oh, crikey, is that going to... Oh. Um, so again... By the time I'd got to uh, about four o'clock in the afternoon, I was feeling absolutely sort of tired, weary, brain dead. And uh, news came that a particular um, scaffold platform had been finished and inspected and was ready for me to go and uh, climb down onto... Could I have the next one, please? And uh, this scaffold platform was across there. It dangled from a cable right in the top, cable down, and this platform that was about 15 feet by 15 feet, so we could look at the paintings that were due to be uh, conserved in the dome. So here I am, weary, tired, fed up, befuddled, uh, having to go climb down to this platform from a ladder way up high and it swayed slightly in the, as time went on. We were about uh, six inches from the actual dome paintings, and we were looking at them, and all I could see was loads of flaking paint and bits where the water had come through, and it didn't look very pretty at all, uh, despite Sir James Thorn, uh, Thornhill's intentions in when he painted it. So we were looking at how this had to be conserved, and all I really wanted to do was go home. And as time went on... I kept looking at my watch thinking, oh, I'm gonna, that's the next train I've missed. Um, I'm not going to be home till seven at least. And then to cap it all, um, Evensong started below us. Now, where the platform was, was like being in the focal point of a megaphone. <laughs> so that anybody on the church floor would heard the slightest movement. So we had to stand perfectly still. Now, the, the way my mind was at the time, and the way Evensong started, it sort of, for me, started like this. And then, from the cathedral floor, came this sound. I hope this is right.
and suddenly cutting right through all the muddle of my brain, all the tiredness, all the fatigue, those words shot straight into my spirit. And it was, it was like the time I remember as a sort of 10, 11-year-old kneeling by my bed and sobbing my heart out because I knew Jesus had died for me. And it, it all came flooding back more intense than ever that God really loved me. When I wasn't expecting anything from God, um, I don't really expect, well, no, I better not say that. <laughs> um, the situation would have, should normally have been in a cathedral you'd expect it to hear God, but I wasn't expecting it. Um, and totally weary. No thought of God probably throughout the whole day, if I was to be absolutely honest. And yet God broke through in that unexpected way. Thank you, Jeff. That really illustrates the point that when we least expect God to come, he does. And very often it's very powerful. I was at New Wine one year, and it was as if the worship had reached a new level. And suddenly I I heard really, really deep, rich voices joining in and I was thinking the harmonies they were so beautiful I'd never heard anything like it and then I thought I didn't know the worship team could sing like that it was just amazing and when the worship finished and the leader got up to speak he said many of you here heard the angels joining in the worship And I was just dumbstruck. I thought, wow, how beautiful was that? He loves to surprise us. Gone on a bit because Jeff told the story instead of me. (laughs) The king whom we love to worship loves to surprise us with his blessings. Not just for the church, but for his people as a whole. And the trouble is, sometimes we don't expect him to. We confess our sins, we pray blessings over our city, over each other. We go out to minister to those in need and we love to spend time in worship. But it's not what we do as individuals or as a church which will encourage Jesus to pour out his blessings on us. There's nothing we can do to make us worthy of his grace. It is by grace alone. He loves us already as we are. He loves us passionately and he loves to surprise us. And it gives him great joy to pour out his blessings on us just because of this love. We remember this at the time of Advent when Jesus sent, when God sent his son Jesus into the world. What a blessing. If we think, this was a defining time in history. The world has never been the same since Jesus came to earth. How amazing is that? Jesus' love is for everyone. We don't have to pass any tests. He pours his love on us. And we just need to be open to him and be open to this promise. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. May God bless us all this Advent and this time at Christmas. Amen.